0: Welcome back to another season of the Lions College Football Podcast. I am Brett Gibbons with the Lions.com, and I am joined, as always, now by Kelly Ford. Kelly, hello, welcome. How are you doing? How do you feel about this upcoming weekend?
1: I feel great, Brett. We've been talking about it for a long time. We got a little taste of week zero. Week one is here. This is when everyone's getting back to action. It's the best time of year. We're getting into college football. The whole season's in front of us. Uh, I just can't wait. I'm so fun. I'm so excited to be talking with you on the show here and being a part of the lines.com. Um let's get into it, man. Week 1's here. It's exciting. College football is back. We've needed this.
0: Yeah, before we dive in though, don't forget to follow the lines US on Twitter. I am at Road to CFB and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here every single week breaking down the college football slate as well as individual weeknight games, and that's actually what we're here to do today. We're going to break down the Thursday and Friday night games for week 1. Like you said, the warm-up is over. This football is all the way back this week. So uh, if you want to see this weekend slate, we will be back doing it in a couple of days, so check back for that. But before we get into the games, let's talk the new clock rules. It's the talk of the town, especially in the college football betting space. It looks like at the start, in those first few games, especially Notre Dame-Navy, that this new rule is really going to affect totals. Uh, but the late games came back kind of evened it out more or less when you saw, you know, UMass New Mexico State Which turned out to be the barn burner. We all expected it to be Uh, but a little bit of data here I'm sure most people listening are already aware But we went from 60 or 68.7 Average plays per game in 2022 to 63.3 average plays But we only shaved off a meager three minutes of the broadcast now. I know it's a small sample But that is six full commercials that they could sell, uh, assuming they are 30-second advertisements. Kind of my worst fears. But do you take anything away from this first weekend under the new rules?
1: Yeah, Brent, no. Not not from a data standpoint. Um, You mentioned the raw data and what we're looking at plays versus time saved all those things we knew it was going to do these things it's been seven fps versus fps games there are 733 more to go let's get a little bit bigger sample size before we draw too many conclusions but i think we kind of knew this was coming i'm actually okay with it to be completely honest i i'm fine didn't take much away let's get into to, to more games more data before we draw too many conclusions would be my recommendation for folks
0: one conclusion that I will come away with, and maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit, uh, I know your numbers don't deal too much in total, so I'll just speak from this from my own standpoint, from a projection, maybe a trends kind of standpoint, that I think this clock rule is going to disproportionately affect games in which we see two running teams. And we'll definitely talk, I will talk that to death until I'm proven otherwise, but you saw Nerdame Dame Navy, two teams that really wanted to establish it, and that game flew past and ended, well... You know, Notre Dame still scored their forty-two, but it, it ended with a lot fewer points than we had uh hoped. So I think it's gonna disproportionately affect the rushing teams. Uh you saw with FIU Louisiana Tech, although that game seemed to go on forever and a half. But then the passing teams like Vanderbilt Hawaii, that game still ended on uh, uh you know scoring a bunch of points and, and going as long, had more of a collegiate feel, I think, than Notre Dame Navy did. But we'll take your advice. We'll continue to collect data points. We'll continue to sit back and see. Uh, sportsbooks, that are in the market, certainly adjusted. Uh, boy, there was a lot of unders uh, that were being hit this weekend that we will certainly talk about. But the first game on the slate. Last time, I think we buried it. This time, we're coming out with the, with the game of potentially of the entire week one. Uh, we have Florida at Utah. The Utes are six and a half point favorites with an over under 45 and a half points game kicks at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. This line was at Utah minus four and a half because doubt surrounded cam rising, whether or not he would play towards ACL in the Rose bowl. He's working his way back. Then they released the depth chart and it had cam rising at QB one. And that line climbed back to that six and a half, seven points we were seeing before. Now I, 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 like your opinion on this, or just you know where you lean. I personally don't think that releasing Rising as QB one on the depth chart really changes anything. Did it change your mindset at all?
1: No, it didn't change mine. I think it was expected. I, I'll get into this too, Brett. I think my numbers. You know, I've been assuming Rising's going to be the quarterback throughout with all this. I, I deal with injuries a little bit differently than than most. I'm not going probable, doubtful, forty percent, eighty percent. If they're not ruled out, I'm counting them in. And that gets me into trouble sometimes. But again, I'm not out here to bet. I'm out here to try to look at games holistically, seasons holistically, and conference championship races holistically. It's going to vary and make differences here or there. But it's a good general approach for me. So I'm still counting Cam Rising being in. Um, and I'll get more into that with, with my numbers here in a bit.
0: That's fair. And, and I'll talk about my play in a little bit. It, it goes against that. It, it plays on the possibility that Cam Rising does not play. Um I just don't think that him being listed on the on the two deep is necessarily saying, yeah, he's in. Because Kyle Whittingham came out Monday and said, I'm refusing to comment on him and Brant Keithy. Uh, so I, I don't know that that they're going to play or not. I don't even know if Utah knows if they're going to play or not. I think that was just a presumptive depth chart. Uh, also note, the backup quarterback, Brandon Rose, he suffered a a scary, serious camp uh, injury injury. That, that was pretty recent, and he may not play at all this year. He's definitely not playing in this game. Uh, so if Cam K- Rising doesn't go, we're now dealing with a third-string quarterback, which, of course, is a big, uh, you know, much different story. I touched on it briefly. Uh, star tight end, Brant Keithy, he's a game-time decision. He suffered a season-ending injury much earlier in the year last year, and his recovery is taking a whole lot longer because that was back in September that he was hurt, and he's still working his way back, may or may not play. He's called a game-time decision. If we're looking at Florida – it is difficult to travel backwards to time zones and then play altitude. They're playing it over 4,600 feet at Rice-Eccles Stadium as opposed to about zero feet in Gainesville. So that I think that the, the home edge of like 2.2 points is what Sagarin has it at right now. That's what I'm factoring it as right now. I think you have to factor more than that into it. And if you're using a weighted... Uh, home field advantage, good for you, that's great, I would love to if I could find more reliable data on that, uh, of course, but I think you have to give a little bit of a boost because you're also dealing with the raucous home environment of Salt Lake City, Rice Eccles being maybe one of the most under the radar, uh, very, very, very difficult environments to play in Pac-12, aficionados of course know uh, plenty about that. And if you're looking at Florida's roster, they're pretty banged up in camp. They've lost a starter on the defensive line and a ton of depth. They actually have nine guys that are listed as questionable or worse coming into this game. Maybe that's just more honest reporting from Florida. I'm sure a lot of teams have nine or ten guys that are hurt right now. But when you scroll down the available injuries, which I do track on my own, and if you're in the Discord server, you do have access to that uh, sheet as well. Shameless plug there. But Florida seems to have a lot more injuries than, uh, than other teams. Cons- ones I'm concerned with, receiver uh, Ricky Pearsall, he's listed with an illness, and he's in game time decision. Not sure what's going on there. Starting tight end Dante Sanders, he has a lower body injury. He may or may not play. Uh, he was listed on the as a starter, though. Caleb Douglas, uh, he's questionable. And like I said, the starter on defensive line, Justice Boone is out for the season. I did take Florida plus seven and a half because I'm still confident. I don't know if that's the right word, but I just don't think that listing rising as a QB one means that he is now uninjured and ready to play. I was hoping that we could get Utah maybe played down to minus three, that I would play some back, but that's just not happening right now. Kelly, how do you slice and dice this game?
1: Yeah, this is my number two game of the week, Brett, behind only LSU Florida State. My numbers, we talked about it. I have Utah minus seven and a half, and that's assuming a healthy cam rising. I have Utah power rated number 15 overall with the nation's number 12 projected offense, which, Brett, get this, that's good enough for only fourth best in the Pac-12. It's number 12 nationally, but that (laughs) Pac-12 is just loaded with quarterbacks and offenses. The the defense is projecting as the number twenty two unit, um, which is actually in the country, which is actually the best in the Pac twelve. So you have a number twelve projected offense, fourth best in your own conference. Number twenty two defense is actually the best. So that just kind of gives you a, a lay of the land quickly of what the Pac twelve is going to look like this year in their final year of existence. Uh, Florida for me is power rated number twenty five, number twenty three projected offense, and number forty six projected defense. So I expect a very even matchup between the Florida offense and the Utah defense. The difference for me is when that number twelve Utah offense is on the field, presumably with Cam Rising, against the number 46 Florida defense. Even if Cam Rising doesn't play, though, the game being in Salt Lake City could be the ultimate difference here. You mentioned the altitude. It's certainly going to play a factor. Those fans are going to be pumped up and ready to go. I think that you said you used 2.2 points. I'm in that ballpark as well. I would listen if you wanted to say, let's make it more than that. From a schedule perspective, Florida is at home against FCS McNeese next week, so their focus should be squarely on the Utes. Utah, on the other hand, they have to travel to Baylor next week. So the Utes are going to need to be careful and not get caught peeking ahead. I don't think that's going to be a problem, considering this is a revenge game for Utah uh, from the 26-29 defeat in Gainesville last year. I'm going to end every segment that I'm talking, uh, Brett, with kind of a K-4 bottom line. Summarize things. Hopefully that helps the viewers. Bottom line. My numbers have Utah minus seven and a half at home. That equates to a seventy percent win expectancy for the Utes.
0: And if you're kind of waffling, maybe you know a lot of states are are new to college football betting. A lot of states with big colleges in them. Ohio, the one that I live in, new to the legal sports betting game. So I just kind of wanted to explain the difference between six and a half and seven and a half, and why that's not the same difference between minus four and a half and minus five. Seven runs through what we call a key betting figure in football. And I'm just explaining this so that we have all of our our bases covered. When you're dealing with seven points, 14% of college football games end squarely on seven. So you have to think when you move off of that seven or through that seven, that is a 14% change. So if you get a six versus an eight, you are actually getting a 14% edge With the 6 if you're looking to lay the Utes here. So you can get them at that mentioned 6.5. Do not bet it at the square 7 or, God forbid, 7.5. Shop around and get your best number. And that's why I'm excited about Florida plus 7.5. And And I'm not so sad that I missed out on, say, 8.5. Because when you're dealing with 8, you're only talking about 4% of uh, college football games ending on that 8 square. I just really think that this game is going to fluctuate so wildly based on Cam Rising's availability. Like I said, Monday declined to uh, comment on his or Brant Keithy's status, uh, probably because the team doesn't even know. But I, we'll see. Now, if you really strip it down, you could say, "Wow, Brett, you just went ahead and bet a team on the road at Rice-Eccles Stadium, a team that is led by the one and only Graham Mertz." And you know what? When you say it out loud like that, it seems kind of silly. And I've been uh, pretty vocal about how I think that Florida is kind of overrated in the power ratings this year. But if you're playing the market game, if you're looking, you know, buying and selling socks almost uh, that we do here with these lines, I did like that Florida plus 7.5. When player props do eventually hit, which I think this one will have the first player props of the weekend slate, I'm absolutely looking to fade Graham Hurts on principal alone, Just whatever his passing yards are, down to a certain amount. If it starts with a 2, I'm probably looking to fade it. Um, because sadly, and I wanted Grant Merce to succeed. I really did. I wanted him to be a great quarterback. Thought he would be. Uh, he's just not that guy. You think I got Florida too high? Power rated twenty five. You think that's too high too? I, I, they all are because I aggregate my power ratings. That's how I base my numbers off of. And I have Florida at 23, 24. You have them at twenty five. SP plus FP. I think that where they all do. But that's not a fault of your your numbers. That's how the data crunches and comes out. So. I just, I don't know, just based on no. program vibes. Yeah.
1: I, I'm just asking, cause that was kind of the team that I was found defending, you know, that in Texas, it, number six, I think I have like, that's the, those are the teams that I had to defend all summer. And I'm like, Hey guys, listen, I, I, I can get it. I, I think Florida might be a little too high. I, I'm with you on that, but that's where the data kind of crunches out, as you said. So that's what the numbers say. We'll see a uh, tough schedule for Florida. And it starts right out of the bat here with uh, right out of the gate with Utah.
0: Yeah. I, maybe I should take this opportunity to kind of explain a little bit of process, a little bit of peek behind the curtain. So, and Kelly, I know you do this when you look at your numbers. Sometimes we can disagree with the numbers in front of us because something I like to do is I like to use the power ratings as a guide to find good bets, to help me kind of level out these teams. But I don't use it as an end-all, be-all. I do look at it and program trajectory, program feel, program vibes are a big, big thing for me. I, Florida, Michigan State, Arizona State, these teams that are all West Virginia this year, the, the teams where I look at their program and say, you're not on a good trajectory. You're, I do not like the direction your coach is headed. I don't like how you're losing recruiting battles, and there's a lot of noise around your program. Those are teams I'm more willing to fade, even if the numbers say to not to. That's just a little bit of my process there. Kelly, how often do you find yourself disagreeing with your numbers? Yeah, so
1: you know the the K-Ford ratings model and Kelly Ford, the person, are not one and the same, but I do have to work very hard to separate those two things. I have for a long time viewed college football teams, uh, conference races, national championship pictures through the lens of advanced analytics because of Bill Connolly, because of Brian from now with my own numbers for the last few years through the lens of the K Ford ratings. There are teams though, uh, South Carolina comes to mind that Iowa special teams, um, Kansas state recently. Where there's something about those programs, there's something about the coaching staff, there's something about the synergies that they have swirling the intangibles around the program that are moving in the right direction and that are leading these teams to overachieve the expectations that a model would have. I always say, no model is perfect. That includes my own. We can't capture everything in models. Doesn't matter how good it is. Doesn't matter how much data we have available. Not everything can be quantified. It is up to the viewer, the fan to, as you said, you know, look at the data, look at the models. And I I tend trend towards mine, obviously biased towards that. And then make adjustments manually from there. I don't adjust the model, the data manually. Like that that, that would uh, get, that would have no integrity with the model itself. But you as a viewer, I, as Kelly Ford, the college football fan, can, outside of the model, make your own inferences and and subjectivity into into that process. So that's how I do it. Again, it's a starting point. doesn't tell the whole picture. We need all viewpoints to view a college football team in a a, a conference championship race, for example. But, um, yeah, that's how I do it with with my power ratings. All
0: right, moving on to a markedly less interesting game uh, in the eyes of the market, in the eyes of me, and probably in the eyes of you. We have the Kent State Golden Flashes. At UCF, UCF is a 37 point favorite. Believe it or not, that is up from 35 earlier last week. Game has an over/under of 57 and a half points. This one kicks at 7 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Like I said, a little bit of buy-in on UCF. They were minus 35, minus 35 and a half. Apparently, that wasn't enough. Got bumped up point and a half. Uh, if you want to do the napkin math, uh, that Kent State is implied for 10 and a quarter points. Not a whole lot. However, they return a nation-low 29% of production. They turn over their entire coaching staff. They do bring in someone that I am super, super partial to, uh, Matt Johnson, the Bowling Green State University legend who was second in the nation in passing yards in 2014 to only Trevon Boykin, fun fact, or 2015, pardon me, led Bowling Green to a MAC title that I was at. So love me some Matt Johnson. Uh, it's expected that he's going to run the same offense uh, that Sean Lewis had in place or as close as he can to it. Because Sean Lewis of course is now in Boulder. Uh, rain is imminent. Storms are likely, even though this is past the, uh, the, the tropical storm that is pushing through there, there is still going to be some remnant effects in that. So keep in mind that we don't have a very good weather game uh, lined up here. I mean, cut and dry. This is a total mismatch on the field. Talent wise, uh, do your numbers even consider, Kent state losing or by fewer than 37 points. What's your number say?
1: Yeah, Brett, actually they do. I had to double check this when I saw because usually I don't have lines that are this far off Vegas. Uh, my numbers right now have this as UCF minus 28. So I think that's a significant difference uh, that I don't usually see. I have UCF power rated number 34 overall. Uh, they are by far the best of the four Big 12 newcomers uh, by about six points. I mean, that's a, that's a big gap. I project the Knights to have the number 39 offense and the number 45 defense this year. Kent State is power rated number 129. That's fourth worst in the country with the worst projected offense and FBS and the number 85 projected defense that's actually second best in the Mac East behind only Miami Ohio but the offense is is, is pretty poor um, it's a mismatch on both sides of the ball especially when the UCF defense is out on the field from a schedule perspective both these teams have uh, tough road games next week UCF travels to Boise State and what I'm terming a BCS blockbuster special I know UCF really came along after the BCS but Boise State Busting the BCS, UCF trying to crash the CFP, um, and then Kent State heads to Fayetteville for a game against Arkansas. So bottom line, my numbers have UCF minus 28 at home. That equates to a 97% win expectancy for the Knights.
0: If they finish 85th in in defense, that's a pretty big improvement from last year. I'm a big proponent of uh, points per drive. I think it's a very good snapshot of efficiency, how often are you letting teams score and how much are they scoring. And Kent State finished 108th in points per drive allowed last year, which means they would move up 23 spots on defense. That is a significant improvement. Um, the aggregated power ratings that I have, uh, UCF minus 27.5. So right there with you. Yeah. The, the numbers are saying hit Kent State. Um, I'll be honest, I did. I, I took a little bit of Kent State plus 37. Um, these are two teams that I think are going to run the ball, even if they have high-tempo offenses. This is one of those where I looked at it and said, hey, the clock rule may help them out here, but I don't know how much of it's going to affect the total. Um, I'm not really excited about betting under 57 and a half. 58 is actually a fairly key number when you're talking about totals. So I decided to take 37 with Kent State because I just don't know if UCF is going to have the time to be able to blow them out by more than that. Um, and hey, if you're saying the 85th projected defense, that makes me feel a lot better about that, especially with these clock rules. Um, but the other side of me is that Kent State, I don't know if they have a floor. They barely have a team. They return one starter on offense. I don't know what their floor is. Um, And the last team I said that about UMass uh, turned in a pretty good week last week. But do you believe that your numbers have a firm grasp on a remade Kent State? No,
1: um, they probably don't. Uh, and I've talked about this before. We talked about the low returning production, the lowest in the country by some metrics. They're down there for me. Teams like Kent State, Colorado, with so much uh, transfer portal usage, Texas State kind of in a similar boat in terms of you know remaking a whole side of the ball, if not a team. Anytime that there is increased uncertainty around a team, and that could be with the roster, that can be with a changeover of the coaching staff, it could be a change of you know style of play or philosophy. When we have those things, it creates increased uncertainty, which from a mathematics standpoint, we don't like because that increases your margin of error. That makes you less kind of uh, confident in the data that you're putting out there for these teams. But we don't have the luxury in a power rating world or in life. You, you can't just say, well, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to pass. I'm putting a number out there for them right now. So we have to have a starting point. Everyone has to start somewhere. You try your best with, with teams like this who have this much uncertainty to, to try to figure out where you're threading that needle. Uh, you, know it, you know it could go better than you're saying. You know it could probably go worse. You say you don't know where the floor is you're trying to thread the needle and say i think this is kind of the area where it's going to be this is what the, the the numbers would suggest you're kind of coming out on average but i think the the range of outcomes the 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 variability with teams like this is greater than it is for some other teams like a uh, Georgia or an Alabama or an Ohio state who have consistency in the coaching staff. They have consistency for the most part. I know I just named three teams that are breaking a new quarterbacks, have consistency, you know, within the roster and they're just replenishing and reloading as opposed to starting kind of over from scratch in any given year, like some of these
0: other teams. You did mention that you don't have the luxury of passing, putting up numbers, but a, a nice word of advice to people that are betting, Sometimes a no bet is is a great op- a good, great option, uh, and you know as a as a better, as a punter, we can always pass on some of these games so if no you doubt. out yeah, and if and if you out there listening, say, "Hey, I don't think my numbers at home i don't I don't know if these numbers i I don't know if me personally have a have a solid grasp on Kent state, Texas, state, Colorado, just pass, just pass and wait for them to shape out, and then you can start to assess that.
1: Betting isn't my lane, so I'm going to wade in here very cautiously and then get right back out. If you're feeling the urge to bet every single college football game, uh, please please seek help. Just That's all i so yep. You don't have to bet every game, yep. and I'm 1-800. not encouraging any of it. But I know that's a very popular thing that a lot of people do.
0: 1-800-GAMBLER if you have a problem. <laughs> there Just, you go. That's, that's you where know. you need to visit. <laughs> uh, moving forward, an interesting matchup, If if not... The college football traveler in me thinks this is a very interesting matchup. We got NC State visiting the UConn Huskies. Um, On the docket here, I have UConn listed as a 14.5-point favorite, but NC State is, in fact, a 14.5-point favorite in this game. Uh, The Huskies are not being spotted 14.5 points. Uh, The over-under here is 46.5. Game kicks off at 7.30 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Uh, This is the debut For one, Brennan Armstrong and Robert Anai. Brennan Armstrong, quarterback at uh, Virginia, coming over. He transfers in. Robert Anai comes from uh, Syracuse. Now, his numbers didn't really... They don't jump off the page when you look at Syracuse. But you have to think about the relative talent level that Syracuse recruits to and uses up there. And I thought he did a really nice job with the orange. I, I liked the offense that they had. It utilized a whole bunch of different things. And the nice thing was, is it was adaptive. So when they had a quarterback that could run the heck out of the ball, they ran the heck out of the ball. And when they didn't, they threw it more and, and, and ran with the, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the tailback, his name's escaping me. Uh, 2022 is so far out of my mind now uh, in this, but, I like him a lot better than Tim Beck, I'll just say that. I thought Beck really wasted Devin Leary's potential last year, the past couple of years, really. There's a lot of talent on that NC State offense that I don't think Tim Beck got the most out of it. So I like the hire, I like Robert and I, am interested to see what he does with Brennan Armstrong, who, 4,000 yard passer in Charlottesville, and then Tony Elliott comes in as head coach and whatever he does with his staff and just ruins it, like, Armstrong is one of the least effective quarterbacks in the country last year. And he didn't just forget how to play football. That was a coaching thing. So now with better coaching and a better system around him, I'm really interested to see if we can get Brennan Armstrong back on track here. UConn, at their quarterback position, surprising depth. You have um, Joe Fignano. Uh, he is the starter. He was the one who was uh, announced as the starter you have uh, Taquan Robinson, uh, Ro- Roberson, I'm sorry, I'm botching these right now. Ta- Taquan Roberson, who came down from Penn State. He was a backup that tried to play against Iowa and was just absolutely hapless. So he, he transfers down to UConn a little bit uh, better, I think, competition for him. And then Zion Turner, who was a freshman last year dynamic athlete. He's listed third. So they do have some options um, up there in Connecticut. But I don't know if the Huskies were nearly as good as a record last year set. It was a good story to see them in a bowl game. But their two big wins on the season were over Fresno State, who did not have Jay Kaner. And if you saw Fresno with and without Jay Kaner, completely different football teams. And then Liberty and, uh, you know, they – Hugh Freeze it was already taking the job at Auburn, like Liberty had fully phoned it in. This was before they got just smoked by New Mexico State as well. So, you know those two wins, I'm not going to say they don't count, but they definitely come with caveats. You got you do have to mention that a little bit. Um, I don't think we're going to see NC State money unless it's 14 uh, on the nose or less. Again, we got 15, 14 and a half, depending on where you look. I make this NC State minus 18. What do you make it?
1: Yeah, first I'll just so say, Brett, I give you credit for always going in on all the players' names. I love it. I don't even try because I'm going to mess them all up. I just stick to I the probably numbers shouldn't. because <laughs> Mask that universal language. I still stumble over that sometimes, but these names they're tough, man. Well, uh, so I give you I'm credit just, there.
0: I, I'm, I'm not looking forward to talking about the UMass quarterback. I have not p- attempted to pronounce it uh, since, so I'm not going to try here. But just it, it it's it, it's a tricky one. I just say QB one, man. Yep, uh, my go. numbers,
1: my numbers have this as NC State minus fifteen. Um, I have NC State power rated number forty overall with the nation's number eighteen projected defense. That's second best in the ACC behind only Clemson but only the number 65 projected offense. Like you talked about some of the concerns we have there um, and maybe improvement this year. UConn is power rated number one sixteen for me uh, with the number 100 power rated defense and the number 126 projected offense out of 133 FBS teams this year. So the defense is the better unit for both of these teams, but NC state does have the advantage on both sides of the ball. Um, UConn does have the home field like you talked about, and this is interesting, you know, getting a power five team like an NC state to go up to UConn. So that's interesting and not, not negligible, but uh, even accounting for that still like NC state from a schedule perspective, UConn is at Georgia State next week, so their focus should be on the Wolfpack this week. Uh, NC State, though, they welcome Notre Dame to Raleigh in Week Two, so NC State just needs to guard against, you know, taking this Husky team for granted. Especially, like I said, considering this game is in East Hartford, Connecticut. Um, I had to look that up because I was like, "Stores, right? That's where Connecticut is. That's where they always talk about basketball in stores." It's in East Hartford is where they play football for Connecticut. Um, bottom line, my numbers have NC State minus fifteen on the road, which equates to an eighty-six percent winning. Expectancy for the Wolfpack.
0: Yeah, you, you talk about the interesting dynamic of going on the road. You know, the, the atmosphere only gets so rowdy. when We're talking about Rentsler Field, if that is still the name of the stadium up there. Uh, one that I have not been to. I've been to 108 FBS stadiums, and Rentsler Field is actually not one of them. Um, Gotta get there. Yeah, I, yeah, well, maybe for this game. It, it'll it certainly be more packed than usual. Uh, I don't know if they're talking about a sellout. It's not really a regional rival I, I don't know how often they really host these kind of ACC teams, though. Um, but, you know, NC State survived just a wild crowd at East Carolina. I was actually at that game. Um, it was so hot during the day, that little peek behind the curtain on that, the uh, ticketing machines actually went down, uh, and they couldn't scan people's phones. So they just started letting people in as long as they could show data barcodes. Wow. So we had students texting their friends all their passes uh, and the stadium was 3,000 over capacity. Uh, I have pictures and videos of these. Like, it was bad. The the, the uh, concourse and everything was, was a log jam. It was like 97 degrees uh, and humid. Awesome atmosphere, though. Like, this was a sweet game. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun at it. And it was a really close game. Actually, East Carolina should have won, but they shanked a field goal at, at the end to lose it. Yep. But when you talk about Rentster Field, I'm not here to just kick UConn fans, but like... We're not talking about rowdy dowdy like it, it's not the same place. Uh, and if you know if you're a big power team going into these small feisty teams that, that have you know well coached and some good athletes, and then you walk into an atmosphere that is just sleepy situationally, that's a nightmare to me. You can come out flat and, and yeah, you could find yourself on the ropes uh, in in a game that you shouldn't be. that's why I'm not really excited about laying over two touchdowns. Uh, your numbers are also not really excited. About laying more than two touchdowns there, it seems. Uh, moving forward, what a treat. What an absolute delight that we get a Big Ten West in its final year matchup in week one on Thursday. Let's get weird. The Nebraska Cornhuskers at the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Minnesota is a seven and a half point favorite with a 43 and a half over under. What a great Big Ten line that is, if you ask me. This game kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Six and a half was available. Uh, It's not available anymore. I'm not a trends guy, but interestingly, the Huskers are 0-6 against the spread in their last six openers. And I'm not talking about games at Ohio State and at Michigan. They play Northwestern. We all remember that game. We're talking uh, Illinois. They lost outright. Uh, Those are games that they were expected to win that they are favored in. I actually took Minnesota. Minus seven. If you can find a seven out there, I did take that because I'm really just fading Nebraska right now, they're dealing with some injuries to their running back room, some suspensions, a whole bunch of stuff going on there. And uh, one of their best portal gets tight end, uh, Eric Gilbert. He has not received his NCAA wager, so he is ineligible as of now. There is some optimism around here, but I'm not really counting on it. And and to be honest, I don't know how much on the point spread a tight end is, even if he's a, a athlete. And then their top wide receiver, Marcus Washington, who's dealing with some camp injuries, but he is expected to play. How does the outcome of this game, which is an interesting matchup, how does the outcome of this game affect your chances to win the Big Ten West for these teams? Yeah,
1: I love, I love this question, but I like these types of questions. They're fun, and that's why we have the numbers, so we can do these hypotheticals. As, the, as things stand, I have Minnesota with an 8% chance to win the West and Nebraska with a 3% chance to win the West. With a Minnesota win, all else equal, everything else stays the same, the Gophers' chances increase from 8% to 10%. While Nebraska's chances decrease from 3% to 1%. So 2% swings for both of them there. With a Nebraska win, all else equal again, the Huskers' chances increase from 3% to 7%, while Minnesota's chances decrease from 8% to 2%. So a bigger swing there, and it makes sense because that's the unexpected result. The numbers are not expecting a Nebraska win. I'll get into what my numbers say in a second, but because that would be an upset by the numbers, that's why you get more variability from the current projections to what would be the updated projections at that time so obviously both teams are going to have an improvement if they win they go down if they lose uh, Nebraska can experience a more significant gain because right now the numbers are not projecting them to get that win
0: yeah, I, I've been talking about it throughout the throughout the podcast here but with the new clock rules, the run-heavy teams are the games that I worry about, the low totals, and, and boy, we're talking about the Big Ten West. This is probably the, the matchup that I worry about the most with the new clock rules, any Big Ten West game, um, because chances are both teams are going to be, you know, high-T, established to run, that kind of stuff. You look at Nebraska's new offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, he's talked about huddling before every play, running under center, and with multiple tight ends, which... Sure, I guess South Carolina wasn't really too uh, sad to see him go to Lincoln, but this number's already at 43.5. I'm not going to play under that. That's already a really low total. It's also down from 46, so I'm not getting the best of the number. You're talking about a 6% move when you move through 45 and 44 on these totals historically, so that's not something I'm interested in, though. you know, If you, if you told me I had to absolutely pick a side, I'd be betting under this and certainly not over it. But what do your numbers say about the matchup itself?
1: This is my number four game of the week. Uh, My numbers have this as Minnesota minus seven. I have Minnesota rated number 32 overall with the number 10 projected defense in the country, which is good enough for only third best in the Big Ten West. Again, number 10 in the country on defense, but within their own division is number three, uh, number 52 projected defense ironically that's also projected to be third in the Big Ten West so you have the top 10 defense that's third in your division and you have a number 52 offense or and that's also or excuse, excuse me yeah 52 offense that's also uh third best in your division so interesting how the Big Ten West shapes up there uh, I think it's clear which side of the ball is, is stronger Nebraska's power rated number 51 with a number 48 projected defense and a number 68 projected offense so Again, typical Big West fashion, uh, Big 10 West fashion. The defense is clearly the stronger unit for both of these teams. I do expect a very even matchup between the Nebraska defense and the Minnesota offense. Uh, the difference for me in this game is that number 10 Minnesota defense against the number 68 Nebraska offense. So, not to mention, there's also the home field advantage baked in for the Gophers. Um, I like Minnesota for those reasons. From a scheduling perspective, Minnesota has a home game against Eastern Michigan next week. So, they shouldn't be looking ahead at all, really to that game. Uh, Nebraska, on the other hand, they hit the road again, Uh, week one and two on the road, this time for an awesome former Big 12 conference clash with Colorado. My numbers aren't necessarily high on Colorado, but this is a flashy game, a game that's going to get headlines like we're seeing with the the Colorado TCU game in week one. So Nebraska needs to make sure they're fully focused this week in Minneapolis. Um, Bottom line, my numbers have Minnesota minus seven at home. That equates to a
0: 70% win expectancy for the Gophers. I am so excited for that Nebraska-Colorado game, like mm-hmm. beyond excited. Um, Ethan Calicomanis, I didn't really need to bring him up, but I just wanted to uh, drop another name that's difficult to pronounce there. Uh, he's back in action from Minnesota. He's got some nice transfer receivers to work with as well. Corey Crooms comes in from Western Michigan. He was their top guy. Elijah Spencer, who I'm very excited about. He was a Conference USA Offensive Player of the Year last year from Charlotte. But this still looks like a run-heavy team with Sean Tyler, who transfers in as well. Uh, from Kalamazoo, Michigan. I do worry about Nebraska's front seven in here as well. I really don't have faith in any of them. If you're looking at preseason uh, unit rankings, Phil Steele ranks the defensive line 11th and the linebacker's 10th in the Big Ten. That's why I think Minnesota's going to go after it. P.J. Fleck is not adverse to lining the ball up and running it down your throat if he's so inclined to. Uh, and then, of course, you have uh, you know Elijah Spencer and Corey Crooms to be able to throw the ball over the top. Uh, I just think that that uh, Nebraska pardon me is is the or i 'm sorry no Minnesota is a better team here, uh, and that 's why I laid seven points with them in this matchup. this one i 'm excited about just because it's it 's weird it's it's sickos its it 's great We got Miami of Ohio at Miami, Florida, or uh, Miami University at the University of miami uh, the The hurricanes are a seventeen point favorite with an over under a forty five and a half and i 've dubbed this one as many people have the Miami Bowl. The Hurricanes lead the all-time series 3-0 with wins in 1945, 46, and 87. So they have not played very frequently or (laughs) recently, uh, and that's why I think I'm so excited for this. Kicks off 7 p.m. Eastern on the ACC Network. Quarterback Tyler Van Dyke, he was reported to be 50-50 to play, but some other reports came out, and then Mario Cristobal himself expects him to play. So I think we're going to see him on the field. You saw a quick dip from 17, 17 17.5 to 16.5, but that went right back up. However, starting offensive tackle is an absolute star. Young guy, Zion Nelson will not play. He is out. I don't know how much that's going to make a difference when you're talking about a team from the Mac, but his absence is a little bit notable. Uh, we are talking about rain that's possible from this game. You're still, uh, you know, expected impacts from Tropical Storm or Hurricane uh, Idalia, when, whenever that hits, whatever it hits at. It's not supposed to be torrential, uh, and I don't think, you know, the Tropical Storm itself isn't going to be hitting Miami, so we're not dealing with a ton of uh, you know, really, really bad weather here, but there may be rain during the game anyway from effects from that and, um, as is. Uh, the Red Hawks, because I can't refer to them as Miami and Miami, but the Red Hawks do return quarterback Brett Gabbard, uh, but he does have fine new weapons. He doesn't have Mac Hippenhammer anymore, who is one of the better players in the MAC, uh, in my opinion. I also don't think the Hurricanes are going to sleepwalk through this after getting absolutely torched by Middle Tennessee last year. What do you think?
1: Yeah, first, it's the second time we've talked about the uh, the storms coming through there. I actually, my sister lives in Florida. So, Miranda, if you're watching this, listening to this, be safe out there. I know it's no joke when those things come through. Um, but for football sake here, this might only be the number 20 game of the week by my numbers. But the Miami Bowl, I love that, has such a good ring to it. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm here for this. I actually didn't even realize until you said it, Brett, they played three times. Twice during you know World War ii and then uh, in 1987, that's a tough time to play Miami. 1987, uh, for, for sorry, it's a tough time to play the Hurricanes, I should say. Uh, not good for Miami, Miami University there, University of Miami. Um, I'm all sorts of all over on Miami there. Here we go. My numbers have the Hurricanes minus 16. I have the U power rated number 35 overall. That's up from number 70 last year, Brett, when Miami finished as my biggest underachiever of the 2022 season with the nation's number 28 projected defense and the number 55 projected offense. The Red Hawks are power rated number 94 with the number 74 offense Uh, which is best in the MAC East, and the number 122 projected defense, so not as good on that side. Uh, It's a mismatch on both sides of the ball, but especially when the Hurricanes' number 28 defense is out on the field with the Red Hawks and that number 122 offense. I mean, it's to the point where Miami, Ohio, might not score more than, you know, 7 or 10 points in this game. Uh, Miami, Hurricanes' defense has collapsed before, not saying they can't again, but it's really shaping up to be one-sided, especially in that individual matchup. From a schedule perspective, this is the first of three consecutive true road games for the Red Hawks with trips to UMass and Cincinnati on tap before finally playing a home game in Week 4 against FCS Delaware State. Brett, I had to look this up. I've checked across all the different schedules as, pre- as I prep for the episode. Miami, Ohio is actually the only team in FBS to play three consecutive road games to begin the year this year. No other team in FBS starts with three in a row on the road. So it's a tough start uh, from a travel standpoint for Miami of Ohio. The Hurricanes welcome Texas A&M to Miami Gardens in week two. Uh, that's a revenge game for the U after losing 9-17 to in College Station last year. So uh, hopefully they're not looking ahead to that one too much. Uh, but bottom line, my numbers have the Hurricanes minus 16 at home. That equates to an 87% win expectancy for the U.
0: Using the old Google machine just to look it up. Uh, yeah, it was a very difficult season for the Red Hawks to play the Hurricanes as they lost in 1987 54-3 uh, en route to a 5-6 <laughs> oh, and six season for the Miami Red Hawks there. Um, and you're talking about a, they may not score 7 or 10 points. Right now they're implied for 14 and a quarter uh, mm-hmm. with with the current spread and total. But, hey, if, if you're taking the, the 122nd ranked uh, offense in the country against twenty eighth defense you know, my, uh, the hurricanes are going to be far more athletic. You may want to look at under team totals in that case. uh, If you were siding with Kelly there, this is what concerns me a little bit. Uh, Brett Gabbert said that the Ohio location, Oxford, Ohio was the real Miami, which I know the hurricanes haven't been very good, but that just seems like poking the bear. Like I get it. I'm for the trash talking, Probably save that stuff for the post game if you win. Uh, Maybe say it to your friends. I I wouldn't say it to the media. In that case, that's just that's fuel that's going to be put up on their locker room, plastered in there. And when they're up, you know, thirty one to three in the third quarter, they're not going to take their foot off the gas. Because sorry, Gabbert, you said something really stupid. I'm not. I don't like that. I like smack talking. I don't like the the in this case severe little brother uh, given the were the real Miami it's good for some laughs but when you get sacked eight times uh, and the guy lays on you a little bit longer you're you're gonna question why and and, and that's why
1: it's one of those things maybe you say after a game if you've had a good game and you pulled an upset or something like that it's kind of yeah. my takeaway Brett, yeah. I do want to I do want to clarify I think I might have misspoke at the very beginning I have Miami Power at 94 it's the number 74 defense which is the best in the Mac east the number 122. Offense. I think I got it right the second time around, but the first time I think I might've misspoke. So it's really, it's it's the defense that's the best in the Mac East. It's the offense, which is why I said maybe not more than seven or 10 points. You're saying 14 and a the implied. Just to clarify there, I think I misspoke.
0: Moving forward, but still in the Mac and uh, still a couple of teams that have similar names. We've got central Michigan at Michigan state, Michigan state only a 14 and a half point favorite with an over under 47 and a half game kicks off at 7 PM Eastern on FS1. And I still have no idea who's going to suit up at quarterback for either of these teams. You're looking at Michigan state. I think Noah Kim is the front runner, but he hasn't been announced as far as I've seen at time of recording here. Uh, Central Michigan. They are not from what I believe starting Burt Emanuel jr. Sadly, I do think we will see him be it in packages or in relief at the end of the game either or, but I don't know if you're thinking about like a coaching decision I know that you need to put your best passer, your best leader, your best overall quarterback out there. And I get that. Except for when you're a sizable road dog against a Big Ten team. Why not run Burt Emanuel Jr. out there and give yourself a big spark? You know, he ran for 300 yards on the ground in one single game. Like, Why not put that kind of dynamic athlete out there? and stress Michigan State's defense and put them on the ropes. And Michigan State's defense, by all accounts, is not a very good unit. They're not a very good projected unit here. Uh, In my opinion, it looks like your numbers are a little bit different on that, but I don't like their secondary. Um, Either way, I I get it if you're in league, taking a safer passer, but in this game, you have to swing for the fences, right?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I agree, definitely, without a doubt. And my numbers have this as Michigan State minus 17 and a half. I have Michigan State power rated number 45, number 38 projected defense, number 56 projected offense, Central Michigan uh, power rated number 106, 87 on defense, which is the second best in the MAC West behind only Toledo, but number 123 on offense out of 133 teams. So the defense is here, better units for both teams. Michigan State has the advantage on both sides of the ball, plus the home field advantage from a scheduling perspective. Michigan State hosts FCS Richmond next week. Who, ironically, I actually have power rated almost the exact same as, as Central oh, Michigan. No. I mean, my project, my projected <laughs> oh, spread, <no. laughs> my projected spread for these games is, is actually about the exact same. Um, if that tells you anything about Central Michigan, um, the Chippewas they host FCS New Hampshire in Week Two. Both teams focus on this game um, at hand. You know, it's a it's a Michigan rivalry game, probably more so for for Central Michigan than Michigan State, but they're they're gonna get pumped up for it. Bottom line, my numbers have Michigan State minus 17.5 at home. That equates to an 89% win
0: expectancy for the Spartans. Oh, I'm going to disagree with you here. You said that says a lot about Central Michigan. I think that says a lot about Michigan State. If you're a Big Ten team being a 17.5 point favorite over an FCS team...
1: Well, if you well okay, if you want to say from the seventeen and a half perspective, okay, but I'm saying it, you take out Michigan state like it doesn't matter if it's Michigan state or Ohio State. The spread at home for those teams by my numbers is going to be the same against central Michigan. Or Richmond is essentially, so that's how I was taking it. But yeah, if you want to say, hey, you're only a 17 and a half point favorite against FCS, (laughs) well, then you're also saying, hey, you're only a 17 and a half point favorite against Central Michigan. Actually, Vegas, as you said, has it 14 and a half. So I'd be curious to see what they have against that Richmond uh, in that Richmond game. But yes, I see what you're saying. I guess I was taking it from the standpoint of the other way of they have the same spread at the same location. That means the opponent is, you know, largely the same in terms of a power rating viewpoint.
0: Well, I would say it says a lot about both of them then in that case. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Like, like I said, in the preseason at the beginning of this podcast, I like fading teams that have apparent internal issues. And Michigan State is definitely one of those teams. I mean, why would their starting quarterback Peyton Thorne and star receiver Keon Coleman transfer out in the spring if everything was just beachy? Uh, it's not. But I don't think that this is the spot to fade Michigan State. Uh, I'd probably play Michigan State if I could get them. At minus 14, but I don't think we're going to see that number. And uh, a last note on this one, uh, the Spartans are far from a blow-the-team-out-of-the-water uh, type of program. They tend to win soundly, but I think that they play with their food a little bit. They had a 35-13 win over just an abysmal Western Michigan last year. They had a 38-21 win against the 3-9 and Northwestern team a couple years ago, and that was in their 11-2 and season. Same with Western Kentucky. They only beat them 48-31 in that uh, 2021 season as well. They just don't really dominate the games like you would expect them to. So if you're looking at, you know, team culture and stuff like that, maybe that's a reason to not lay the points with Michigan State now or maybe ever. But I'm also not fading them in this spot. I I don't think it's the appropriate time at home. Moving on, we have the Louisville Cardinals. They are an eight-point favorite against Georgia Tech. The game is being played in Atlanta, but not at Bobby Dodd Stadium. They are playing it at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Boo, play that one at Bobby Dodd, please. Uh, But you have an over-under of 49.5 points. The Lions.com College Football Podcast is also now available on the WDRB Plus app in Louisville and around Kentucky as sports betting launches this year, in addition to YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. That's a fun programming announcement. Welcome to the people of Louisville. Thanks for tuning in. We are super happy to be uh, talking to you right now. This game, Louisville versus Georgia Tech, kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Like I said, it's a quote-unquote neutral site game. I suppose they can fit more people in the stands there. This is the debut for Jeff Brom and the new-look Cardinals, who brought in a ton of transfers not to be overshadowed by Colorado. Georgia Tech decided to keep Brent Key on the interim after he went 4-4 four and four to finish out last year. It was impressive. They had a win over uh, North Carolina. A pr- pretty solid team at the end of the year there. Uh, my number see value in Louisville. My aggregated power rating see value in Louisville here. Uh, I favor them by about 12. Um, but I'd be patient since you're looking at 7.5 to 9. Those are dead numbers. They can move a couple of points either way. You're not really losing a whole lot of value there. Um, but it does spook me a little to see this number so short, in my opinion, and not budging. On the Georgia Tech sideline, though, we do have Haynes King, the Texas A&M transfer, who will start for them. That has been confirmed. And they also have a familiar face at running back to those that are Cardinal diehards. Trey Cooley, running back, is a Louisville transfer himself. I said I got spooked by the short number. Kelly, what do your ratings say about the game?
1: Yeah, first, Brett, this is my number nine game of the week in terms of watchability and the components that go into that formula for me. So uh, my numbers have this as Louisville minus nine. Uh, I have Louisville power rated number 39 overall coming into this year with a number 21 projected defense and the number 51 projected offense here in Jeff Brom's first year. Georgia Tech, power rated number 74 overall, with a number 59 projected defense and number 94 projected offense. So both teams have stronger defenses than offenses, and I expect a very even matchup between the Louisville offense and the Georgia Tech defense. The difference for me, though, Brett, is the number 21 Louisville defense, as I said, going against that number 94 Georgia Tech offense.
0: Yeah, to touch on the, the Louisville offense, uh, Braum was pretty passive at Purdue. He had a couple of good quarterbacks who was able to do that. Uh, but an important note, Jamari Thrash, who Georgia State transfer receiver coming in, he's reportedly lining up in the same position that David Bell and Charlie Jones had lined up in. Uh, I guess it's their apex receiver, their top guy, their their favorite target to go to. He is lining up in that same spot here. Uh, Georgia Tech has a pretty, pretty solid core of uh, defensive backs. They brought in a couple of transfers. They should be pretty sound back there. But I'm a buyer in Jamari Thrash. I think he's a terrific land of the transfer portal. So I may look uh, over his receiving yards when player props drop. That's probably going to be Thursday or Friday, you know, later on. But I expect big things from Jamari Thrash, even against a pretty solid Georgia Tech secondary.
1: Yeah, uh, hard to argue there, uh, Brett. From a scheduling perspective, both of these teams host FCS foes in Week 2, with Murray State heading to Louisville and uh, South Carolina State heading to Atlanta. So uh, all eyes, all focus for these teams should be on this ACC game. Fun fact about Louisville's schedule, the Cardinals are the only team in FBS – that play fewer than four true road games in 2023. Now, again, I'm counting this one as a neutral site, even though they are going to the home city of their opponent. But Louisville is on the road at NC State in Week 5, Pitt in Week 7, and Miami in Week 12. They obviously have this neutral site game as we're terming it against Georgia Tech here in week one, and then they get Indiana at a neutral site in week three, but only three true road games as defined by you know FBS schedules and, and, and by people out there. So that's the fewest in all of FBS, something to keep an eye on for Louisville this year. And then final thing for the Cardinal fans, since I know uh, this will be shared on the WDRB Plus, um, as things stand... I have Louisville with a 22% chance to make the ACC championship game. That's third best in the conference behind only Clemson and Florida State. All else equal, a win for the Cardinals here in week one increases their chances to 26%, while a loss would decrease their chances all the way down to 9%. Again, the numbers like um, Louisville in this game. They're not expecting a loss, which is why the negative impact of a loss is greater than the positive impact of a win. But 22% now, that bumps up to 26% all else equal with a win. Bottom line, my numbers have Louisville minus 9 in this neutral site game, which equates to a 73% win expectancy for the Cardinals.
0: I'd really like to expand on this weird schedule. I love college football travel, (laughs) I love stadiums, and I love scheduling quirks like this. Not only does Louisville only play, you said, three true road games. But two of those true road games are in NFL stadiums anyway, at Pitt and at Miami. So they play one true FBS away stadium, NC State, and that game's played on a Friday. So they will play zero (laughs) road games at FBS stadiums on Saturdays this year. Nice job, Louisville. Excellent excellent, uh, scheduling there. The only injury note in this game, starting safety, MJ Griffin, he's out for the season for Louisville. Uh, that is a big impact for the defense, but nothing that's going to be changing point spreads or anything like that. I probably lean Louisville uh, and the points here. feels like one of those games where you look back on and say, oh, well, of, of course they ran away with it, right? Like, Georgia Tech was clearly outmatched in this one. Uh, if you look at the implied point total for the Cardinals, is 28 and a quarter, If I can find 28 or under for Louisville team total, uh, that's probably something that's going to interest me. I think that they'll be able to move the football. You said the offense and defense are pretty evenly matched, but I do trust Jack Plummer. I do trust the athletes. I like Jamari Thrash on Louisville a little bit more, I think, than I trust Georgia Tech's defense. Um, And I'd only take that 28 if it wasn't juiced to crazy number, minus 160 or, you know, how they do that sometimes. So moving on, we have Stanford. A three-and-a-half-point road favorite at Hawaii with a 60-and-a-half-point over-under. Grab your coffee. We we got some classic Hawaii after dark. This one is 11 p.m. Eastern. We get to watch it. It's on CBS Sports Network. You don't have to subscribe to that Ridiculous Hawaii pay-per-view, uh, sixty dollar per pop or whatever they were selling uh, last year. This one's on CBS Sports Network. Uh, get ready for some weird. Y- you know it. It's eleven. You know eleven p.m. kick on the East Coast, and-, and you got two teams like this playing. Uh, it's going to be weird. This to- this point spread. Pardon me. Actually dropped from Stanford minus seven uh, after Hawaii gave Vanderbilt a run for their money in week zero. Now, funny enough, I love looking at post-game win expectancies. Hawaii had eighty-two percent. Post-game win expectancy over Vanderbilt. But they lost the game outright. I- I'm going to be honest. I stand corrected from our last Week Zero podcast. Braden Shager looked uh, pretty good. A whole lot better. At least good enough to take advantage of that Vanderbilt defense. that I said verbatim, I don't believe he was good enough to take advantage of. Uh, here I am, wrong. He he threw for uh, 350 yards. But if you look at this box score, it's just downright hilarious. Look at the advanced box score. Average starting field position for both of these teams were past the, each other's 50-yard line with about 43.5 yards to go for each. Uh, Greater than a 25% havoc rate on the game total. That is TFLs, sacks, deflections, turnovers. One out of every four. Shorter than one out of every four, actually. Uh, One of those crazy things happened. And then nine scoring opportunities for Vanderbilt, and they came away with a grand total of seven points from those. And yet they scored 28 on the game. So 21 of their points came from outside of scoring opportunities. It's just... It was a weird game. It was a fun game, but it was a weird game. Uh, Troy Taylor, the new head coach for Stanford, a quick rundown on him. He's from Sacramento State. Sac State scored 43 points per game and had a 17-point uh, positive point differential last year over their opponents. They lost to Incarnate Word in one of the wildest college football games I have ever seen. Probably the Honestly, probably the best game in the D1 last year. It was a 63-66 finish. So much fun to watch. I remember watching that one late night. Overall, I like the higher... But I don't like where Stanford is with a talent uh, perspective and and a program future. Like I said, it's the theme of this episode. If you have a bad program culture and a bad program direction, I'm probably going to fade you. Um, And then on the other side, Hawaii is on the upswing. So Stanford, we have to talk about this rest advantage. It is massive. They didn't play in week zero, so this is their first game of the year. But Hawaii played in Nashville and now has to travel back and play six days later. They may arrive back on the islands at the same time that stanford did but stanford has a whole lot shorter probably a a what a three and a half four hours shorter flight uh and and they haven't done that yet uh it is the debut for troy taylor but again that roster is just a mess their quarterback is a mess everything on there is a mess i'd probably lay three or better with stanford uh that's kind of gross to say but i think that this may have been a slight overcorrection in the point spread there uh what say you yeah,
1: My numbers have this as Stanford minus five. Um, I have Stanford power rated number 95 overall, number 73 projected offense, number 113 projected defense is the first team, as you talked about here, that we've talked about today that has already played live college football this season. The Rainbow Warriors fell last week, as you said, 28-35 at Vanderbilt. Uh, Hawaii's power rated number 120 now, which is up from number 124 a week ago. So the the Rainbow Warriors did rise in my power ratings from week zero to week one. They're a balanced team. Offensive unit ranking at number 116. Defensive <laughs> unit ranking at number 118. So I, I said they were balanced. I didn't say they were good. I said they were balanced. They're they're. Equal-ish in both of those ranking units uh, on both sides. Again, that doesn't mean it's good, but they're balanced. Uh, I expect a very even matchup between that Stanford offense and the Hawaii defense. Difference for me. Number 73 uh, Stanford defense against that number 116 Hawaii offense. Although this game being in Honolulu does make it interesting, um, as you said, the travel actually almost maybe favors Stanford given where Hawaii's coming from. Uh, not quite, but, but pretty close. Uh, from a scheduling perspective, I mentioned Hawaii's coming back from that trip to Nashville. You've talked about it too. The Rainbow Warriors host FCSU Albany next week. Stanford. Follows up their trip to Hawaii with a trip to the Pac-12 favorites, USC, in Week 2. So a lot of travel for Stanford here early on, too. Bottom line, my numbers have Stanford minus 5 on the road. That equates to a 64% win expectancy for the Cardinal.
0: Uh, The average flight time from Albany, New York, to Honolulu, Hawaii is 10 hours and 24 minutes. That is a trek for an FCS team. I'd like to know how much money they're being paid for that. I'm going to look that up. That's interesting. Um, you said you make Stanford minus five. I make it minus six, somewhere you know in that same range. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, Hawaii head coach Timmy Chang has publicly said he's aware of point spreads. Now, I I personally believe that all college football coaches, at least the head coaches, are aware of their point spread. You you just can't hide from it anymore. Uh, and I know that these guys are plugged into the media and, and social media, so I know that they know the point spread to their uh, games. But but Timmy Chang is the first one that's come outward and say hey, I know them, I acknowledge them, and I use them as motivation for your team. And you know what? It's worked. Hawaii's now covered eight of their last nine games dating back to last year. They, But when you're talking about three and a half, I think that that kind of ventures from territory of we're going to cover this spread to, okay, now you have to be in control of this game. And I don't know that this one's really in his control. Um, like I said, don't like where Stanford's trending, like where Hawaii's trending. If I can get the three, I'll probably bet Stanford. I did... Earlier Monday, see a minus three and a half at even money at Caesars. That tells me it may may shift to three. But again, when we're talking about the number one key figure in football betting, 17% of college football games end on three. So it's going to take a pretty big push to push it from three and a half to three. But if I get that three, I'm probably laying it with Stanford, uh, barring some significant juice there. So that was our FBS slate. But we're going to do this every show if we can. FCS game. Let's do this. This one I'm actually really excited about. We have uh, William & Mary at Campbell. uh, Kicks off at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, It's on Flow Sports, so I probably won't be watching it, but it'd be a great game uh, if you do have access to that. Last week, interestingly, with FCS lines that dropped about 10 a.m. Eastern just beforehand on FanDuel for those looking for it, uh, FCS lines dropped. Jackson State moved 10 points on their spread. They opened at minus 17.5 and, and were bet all the way down to 7.5 before he had some buyback. Uh, and then they won the game 37-7. So much for closing line value. Uh, that was the case with all of Week Zero. If you had any closing line value, I'm so sorry. It didn't work out for you, me included. Uh, and Albany, yeah, we just talked about you, of Albany. They actually moved 7 points on their spread as well, and they covered that one handily. Hurricane Idalia or Tropical Storm Idalia, whatever it's going to be at that point, It is expected to impact this game, be it a tropical depression or maybe still a tropical storm. Uh, It is going to be raining during this game. Hopefully, they don't have to move it. If they do, uh, they'll probably be better for the watchability anyway. If you're looking at William & Mary, they returned 16 starters this year, which is great. They're my ninth-ranked FCS team. They were a quarterfinalist last year before they ran into an absolute buzzsaw that was Montana State at home in 15 degrees. Uh, I... If, if you're an FCS watcher, especially in the playoffs, watching those late games at Montana, Montana State is just so much fun. Uh, yeah, but uh, Campbell, 50th ranked F- FCS team. I favor William and Mary by 10.5 points on the road. Kelly, what do your FCS numbers say? Hearing you talking
1: about closing line value and moving spreads in the FCS games, Brett, I just, it's amazing. D-Gen I love City. that you. I love it. I love that you love it. That's awesome. Uh, I do have the FCS light model going this year. So I'm able to give you a projected spread here. Uh, William and Mary number seven in my FCS rankings right now. I like them by about 14 and a half on the road against Campbell, who I have in the FCS ranks number 57. So there you go. William and Mary minus 14 and a half on the road against uh, Campbell for me. 9.55
0: 9:55 Eastern, 6:55 Pacific. Set your alarms and start refreshing uh, Fanduel because I kid you not, it went from 17 and a half to 13 and a half like that. I could not scoop up a 14 and a half on Fanduel. I had to go over to Bet Rivers to grab my 14 and a half on uh, South Carolina State. I don't want to talk about it. I'm still hurt from it. It's fine. We'll, we'll have better luck if we're getting consistent closing line value. We're going to have better luck in the long run in the season. But Kelly, that is a weeknight week one preview. We haven't even touched Saturday yet, and I'm excited to come back and do that later in the week here. Hop on over to our discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans, get live updates in our college football channel, and join a sharp and active community. This thing was electric uh, on Saturday week zero. It was going all day from 10 a.m. to past midnight. I think the games ended at 1, 1, 30. Um, I'm also doing a live stream on that Discord at 11 a.m. Eastern on Saturdays, going over line movement, uh, new news, ins outs, uh, injuries, weather updates, things like that that we cannot successfully cover here. So join me over there as well if you did not last week. Don't forget to subscribe to Lines YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all season long. Subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice—be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts—and drop us a good review if you like the show. Let us know what you think of this slate. There are, geez, there's a lot of meat on the bone. Please share. Uh, We had some good discussion in our week zero video as well. Kelly, before we get out of here, please plug your Twitter, website, wherever people can find your work.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, you find me on Twitter, at KFordRatings. You can find me on the website, KFordRatings.com. Be doing some writing here for the lines.com as well, as well as some various other outlets too. So uh, week one, man, just the weekday games. what <laughs> we got into tonight and we went an hour. Saturday is going to be even better. It's, it's awesome. College football is here. It's the best time of year. I love talking about it with you, Brett.
0: It sure is. Thank you so much as always for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford, and we'll see you all next time.